story is so incredible. Um, in 2008, fired after you had stopped a fellow white officer—again, you're a former Buffalo police officer—you stopped him from putting a black man uh, who was in handcuffs in a chokehold, and it was you who was fired. Um, but I wanted to ask you um, about President Biden's visit to Buffalo. Um, he denounced the attack as an act of domestic terrorism um, and described white supremacy as a poison. You were among at least 200 people who gathered at a rally, um, leading the crowd in chants while calling for law enforcement to let Robin Gary inside the center where Biden was speaking. Uh, Robin Gary, um, who the shooter had put a gun to their head. Explain what happened. Well, she um, begged for the life of her daughter. And instead of killing her, he, he, he did put the um, hot gun that he had just killed other people with to her head. Um, at some point, she'll be able to tell you her story herself. Um, so, yeah, what, what I want to respect that, you know, she's not ready to talk about it yet. Um, but at the same time, you know, um, this is racist terrorism. Um, we have to call it what it is. We have to deal with the race issue. Uh, we have to deal with the hate issue. Um, we have it in the police department also, um, racism and, as far as I'm concerned, terrorism, because we saw them—when I say them, I mean the Buffalo police—they arrested that um, the, the racist terrorist with no problems whatsoever. But then you have black men dying at the hands of the police and they have no weapon at all. Listening to Reset Race, you now tuned in to Reset Race. Uh, uh, you're listening to Reset Race, you now tuned in to Reset Race. Put them back on the grill again, we grilling them. Put them back on the grill again, we grilling them. Put them back on the grill again, we grilling them. Back on the grill again, we grilling them. You're listening to Reset Race. Adults need reparations to make America make great. America uh, great. You're tuned in to Reset Race. We no longer starving while others eat off our plate. No. You're listening to Reset Race. We focused on our justice claim. We know what is at stake. Uh, you're tuned in to Reset Race. You'll find out we're really about justice and really who fake. On the edge, go back to U.S. Southern plantations. Then he is Jim Crow and mass incarceration. Redline and lynchings, we are old from this nation. Not about justice if you ain't for reparations. MG the wise one, cousin mother intellectual. Samantha bringing fire, anti-black, we pressing you. No permanent friends and no permanent enemies. The backbone of the country, the win. You need our energy. Go on, see. Listening to Reset Race. You now tuned in the reset race. Uh, uh. You're listening to reset race. You now tuned in the reset race. Uh, put them back on the grill again. We grilling them. Put them back on the grill again. We grilling them. Put them back on the grill again. We grilling them. Back on the grill again. We grilling them. Uh, you're listening.
lesson in the reset race. Ados need reparations to make America make great. America uh, great. You're tuned in the reset race. We no longer starving while others eat off our plate. No. You're listening to Reset Race, we focused on our justice claim, we know what is at stake, uh, you're tuned in to Reset Race, you'll find out we're really about justice and really who we think, uh, uh, uh. Hello, and uh, welcome to Reset Race, my name is John C., I am an average American Negro, I'm about to get into some important stuff uh, in regards to Buffalo, so let's go around the, uh, let's go around the room, introduce everybody. What's up, y'all? Morgan Malachi. You can find me on Twitter at at Cali Tast Us. Um, that's about it. Uh, Sam, aka the Khaleesi. What's up, sister? Where you at? Introduce yourself to the I people. am here. As I keep telling y'all, I am still in mourning. So don't bother me on Twitter because you may get cussed out. But some of y'all be sending me good stuff in my DM, so y'all keep that up. Like I like uh, I like the articles and the videos and you know some of y'all be super low key and I appreciate it so you can hit me at me seventeen trillion or you can get me on the at reset race uh, Twitter as well because if you're in those DMs you talking to me so all right y'all we gonna talk about our people because as John said you know uh, there's been so many shootings it feels like people are acting like this was a lifetime ago when it really wasn't. You already know, sis. But the self-proclaimed king of the Negroes, the self-proclaimed leader of the engagement gang, Joey, where you at, bro? Oh, hell, King Killmonger. He is I and I am him. Um, Eastside Joey on Twitter. Feel free to contact me there. We can uh, mix it up, get some ideas going back and forth. Um, Engagement gang, I need you in the comments. We got to get these issues into the algorithm. We can't allow these people to forget about what's going on with us. America is shelling out money, just putting it out. 80 billion for Ukraine, a billion for this, a billion for that. Where's our money? The only way we get to it is if we get our conversations louder. Feed the algorithm. Get your issues into the algorithm. Sure, sure. Yeah, and share Uh, some of those, share some of the clips with your your, uh, friends. The you might be a little too wild for your parents and shit, but y'all got to listen to a couple <laughs> friends, right? Like, share, and subscribe. I say that for a reason. If you want us to, this message and the conversation to continue that we have, like, share, and subscribe, and get in the comments. And you know, like, let's have the let's have the uh, exchange. Like, but uh, last but not least, cousin Mud. Yeah, what's up? They call me Mud. You can find me on my social media at of lineage. That's O F lineage. Twitter and Instagram. I am the creator of Bitter Dose TV. Um, let's go ahead and get into the show. All right, so uh, we got this article from uh, the Democrat and Chronicle, which is a newspaper out in Rochester, New York. Um, and they talk about, uh, well, I'll just go ahead and read the title. What great replacement in Buffalo, black people say they're being replaced. This ideology again talks about replacement us replacing our white brothers and sisters no this is replacement this is what happens when my people are replaced i was replaced okay as an advocate in my community 
I was replaced. This was my home. This is what replacement really looks like. What great replacement. In Buffalo, black people say they're being replaced. The grapevines of Grape Street are gone now. The cherry trees of Cherry Street were buried by the expressway that tore this neighborhood in half, along with the house where Veronica Hemphill Nichols was born. Arson destroyed the mansion on Peach Street, three more houses in the Fruit Belt burned the same night. Hemphill Nichols tried for 16 years to save the houses. Here in the Fruit Belt, the oldest neighborhood for African Americans on Buffalo's east side, Hemphill Nichols knows every dandelion field was once a home, and every home contained a family, a black family, like hers, whose dreams died in the dirt where their houses fell. Now it's her turn. Two days after a gunman opened fire in a supermarket next to her new apartment, Hemphill Nichols drove to her former home in the Fruit Belt. It was here that she organized to fight the mayor, to block the gentrifiers, to rat out the drug dealers, to raise her four sons. Unbeknownst to her, Hemphill Nichols' house recently was demolished. The only remaining trace is a bulldozer track in the mud. Seeing the destruction this week for the first time, Hemphill Nichols started to cry. A white terrorist came to Buffalo on a hot Saturday in May, spouting lies about a great replacement. He has the situation perfectly backward. This is what replacement really looks like, Hemphill Nichols said, lifting her sunglasses to touch both cheeks with a napkin. It's like that part of my life never happened. I was replaced. All right, does, does anyone have any thoughts about that so far? Well, just, it, it's just the thing that's happened in so many of our communities, right? When you think about like, even where, like Watts, right? They ran freeways through that community to create the 105. It literally was supposed to go all the way through Norwalk, but the white people shut that shit down. And that's why it comes to an abrupt stop where it does where the 105 and the 605 kind of run out where the 605 and 105 runs out but that freeway is supposed to go further and they literally like took people's homes and gave them pennies on the dollar through eminent domain and this is wealth that was just stolen out of black families that's just watts she's talking about what happened in buffalo i'm pretty sure if mud wanted to he could talk about stuff that's happened like we could probably all talk about different places different cities pretty sure morgan could talk about cities and places that used to look a certain way that look a different way now and it's true, like we're being pushed out. We're being pushed out all over the place. Like in Los Angeles, I find it funny that Latinos are following the black migration patterns. So when I grew up, when I was born, I was born in LA. LA got a little bit whatever. Plus they were building a lot of like subdivisions in the suburbs. So a lot of black people moved to the suburbs out with the whites. And then now you see, uh, so a lot of our communities now in LA, like those people had moved out to the suburbs. Now the Latinos are moving out of LA into those homes in the suburbs and the blacks are moving down South. So again, you just see this constant like pushing out of people, of our people. Yes. Um, I was surprised when I heard about the highway. I was like, oh, okay. 
They're still build, they're still doing that. Um, and also it is a sign of the inequity and why we fight for reparations. This is a clear case. Uh, President Biden was welcomed here this morning. Uh, a lot of people were grateful that he came to Buffalo to personally deliver condolences on behalf of the country. That was important and generally well received, but not by everybody. You know, I was in a, an area here just a few meters from where we're standing right now, uh, just after he spoke, and a large group of people were loudly talking about how words are one thing, but actions are actually more important, saying that President Biden and the U.S. government hasn't done enough for the black community. Here's a little bit of what, what we heard. The fact that you would come to this community after we just watched on video 10 of our elders get murdered, shot down, and the only thing you came was to ask them to give up their guns. We deserve reparations. We deserve the same thing that they have given every other community. Our people were originally brought here to be slaves, be enslaved indefinitely. There was no other plans for us to have freedom and all these other things that, we, that white people talk about. It was, for our Group, our dynamic, it was no, it was no plan for that. It was like, we're gonna bring these Negroes here, they're gonna be slaves. They couldn't import no more slaves, then they started making their own slaves. And that was the goal. Then once slavery ended, then it was like, all right, how can we bring these people back close as we can to slavery? That's when you get the 100 years of uh, racial terror and Jim Crow. So then after post-Jim Crow society, now it was like, all right, so they're not slaves anymore. We got them out of Jim Crow. How can we squeeze the, like we trying to, how can we put them in the Jim Crow? So we got 2 million black men in prison right now. We got, you know, like they're trying to find ways, they always been trying to find ways to put us back into, now it's like, you know what? We don't even really need them no more now because they're not slaves anymore. We know they ain't going for the bullshit. They don't keep fighting. We can't, we can't just have them as a permanent labor underclass no more because we could just bring other people where to do that work now. So we kind of may have to get rid of them. And I think this is what you're saying right now, you know, as far as, especially with gentrification, like gener this gentrification is nothing but like an extension of redlining. Absolutely, like, you know, the highways built to the communities, like this is true, not only in the East and the West and the Midwest, this is true in, in the Southern cities as well. This place, I feel like displacement and erasure is the goal for our people. So people gotta wake up. I feel like that's part of the reason why, you know, the shooting did happen in Buffalo because you know that you know, black communities, black poor communities are uh, the most vulnerable communities in America. Everybody knows this. And the crazy part is that he came to come shoot up a poor black community, which almost everybody knows this is one of the most heavily policed areas in America, poor black community. Police is everywhere in our communities. It wasn't there with that Buffalo shooting. For me, this is just more white backlash. Like um, whiteness has always been defined in opposition to blackness. What does it mean to be white? It means that you're not a Negro. That's all it means. It doesn't mean anything specific. It just means that you're not a Negro. So um, white freedom, white people's idea of freedom, it's intertwined with like what they're allowed to do with the Negro. That's always been white people's like barometer for how free they are. So when they um, get into this replacement stuff, like they know it's real because they do it to us. And that's why they turn around and target us for it when they do their domestic terrorism. They make us a bigger target when they, um, when they make our stories about gun violence as opposed to like what this was an attempted genocide. Like when, when they make it about gun violence, when they ignore black people, it just, 
yeah, I'm trying to not get like overly passionate because it's like, like, I feel like, um, I don't know if you guys have ever heard this little short story called I Have No Mouth But I Must Scream. Basically, it's like, a, it's living in hell. Like you see all the worst things in the world happening in front of you and you can't, like, you can't react as if like you're living in a horror movie, even though you are. Like you're expected to be calm and civil when people are literally trying to genocide you. So forgive me if I get a bit passionate on this topic. Well, I mean, isn't it because it has been acceptable to deny our Americanness? And I mean, even when you think about the Buffalo shooter and this whole great replacement theory, whatever shit they got going on in their mind, to view Black Americans who have been here since before America was a thing, uh, to view us as the invaders. And this motherfucker is an immigrant his damn self. And he, he's acting as if we are taking something from him. And thus that gives him the right to, to kill us, to, to execute us, to remove us from our own land, our own home. And it's not really being framed in the right way. I mean, this story is, this is what they're talking about is the real shit in this story. We have consistently been uh, replaced in this country. Our story, our contributions to this country are not told. Um, whenever we, we have been forced into these communities, we have been forced to create these communities through segregation and redlining. And then when it becomes, um, advantageous for for white America they come in and they just take our communities from us and then act like we were never there and this is all acceptable they take our culture and and, and pretend it's not ours we are not allowed to have an identity in this country based on our Americanness and then somehow we're made to be the bigots when we challenge other people in the way they treat us. Them respecting our Americanness and our contribution, it makes, it, it really leaves up to the real, it's not an ideal anymore. America is not like a, you know what I mean? Like this is an experiment. No, it's not an experiment. This is real now. You Negroes are fully enfranchised and got everything that was taken from them. That makes America better for everybody. Regardless if you, it doesn't even matter if I can fuck them. I don't give a fuck. I care about my people. I do too. But I still know, even doing this right now, the backlash, other people will be good. Like, you know what I mean? Like, other, like I can't explain it. Like, they, they won't do it though. Because I feel like our oppression is, is the fuel to keep this car running. I can't, it's fucked up, man. It's, exactly. And I hate, how it, I hate how it works on both sides because it's like, when we try to talk about the reality of America, they try to connect us to like right-wing politics and shit. And it's like, no, our, our perspective is different because we're black. Like, when I talk about freedom, I'm not talking about my ability to control other people. I'm talking about my ability to do things. When white people talk about freedom, they're talking about their ability to control people. Facts. It's very, very different. 
Like it, it's, it's very different. Like black nationalism is different from white nationalism. It just is. And like, we're tired of being your antagonist. Like this is what the myth of the black brute is. It's the, it's the antagonist that justifies the existence of white people. That justifies the existence of the white shooter. It justifies the existence of the KKK. Of all of them. It just, as long as you have a black brute, you can be a shooter if you want to, because we need those apparently. Don't forget the police. Oh, of course. You know, the hero warrior cops with their killology classes and shit. Once you've made the decision to take a human life, you're a transformed creature, you're a predator. What does a predator do? They kill. Only a killer can hunt a killer. Are you emotionally, spiritually, psychologically prepared to snuff out a human life in defense of innocent lives? If you can't make that decision, you need to find another job. Shot fired! 321, we have shot fired. We have one suspect down. I told him not to reach for it. I told him to get his hand out. I told him to get his ID, sir, and his driver's license. Get your license, please. Get the car! Get it! Uh, why did you shoot me? Well, you dove head first back into your car. Do you see a belt violation, sir? See, I just pulled it off right there at the corner to pull in the gas station. Well, I got help coming to you, okay? I got help coming to you. Whenever we survey cops about use of deadly force, they consistently tell us that number one concern is what? Begins with an L. Lawsuits, liability, lawyers, I'm gonna get sued. Do you understand you can be sued for not shooting? Stand there and do nothing while people are murdered. What do they call that? Cowardice, malfeasance, dereliction of duty, deliberate indifference, blood on your hands. We might call it assisted suicide. Because the one that dies next might be you, yes? There's only one way out. Know the law, know it well. Get every training opportunity you can. Don't be afraid of being sued. Everybody gets sued. Just a chance for overtime. <laughs> be afraid of being successfully sued. Ecclesiastes 3.3, time to kill, time to heal. Like every fucking time, like, like that's what it means to be a nerd. It's to be like the antagonist that justifies white people. And that's what they keep making us. And like every time we talk about the reality of that, oh, well, you're right wing. No, they're literally replacing us. We can tell because they've openly been saying they're doing it. They've always done this.
Like, how do I, how am I supposed to talk to these people? They double talk on everything. For me, there is no talking. There's just demanding and showing and proving. Like, I don't even, you're not going to gaslight me. I don't have time. And we've seen it through history. And they have chosen whiteness. And I'm all wrapped out. Like, I remember they presented the Black Panthers as, like, the antagonist of the KKK. As if they were in any way similar. Well, the KKK was radical and the Black Panthers were radical. Like, I remember them presenting Malcolm X, like, next to, like, Klansmen and shit, as if, like, these are the same thing. Never. We've never been like them. We can't be. Because whiteness is defined in a direct opposition to who we are. The one thing you can't be is a white Negro. You can be a white Mexican. It is what it is. I feel like we're, but the fact that we're talking about these things now and the fact that the people are moving on the ground and doing the certain things that they're doing now, I think that I have, I have hope that this shit will change, but this, this shit is sad, man. This shit is sad. And the fact that this community in Buffalo, because it was a poor community and it's so, it's so vulnerable, and it's probably super over-policed. I know it's over-policed. We know it's over-policed. Food desert, redlining. We know it's police all over that bitch. And this white spirit was like, no, I'm going to go over there and do this shit. So you feel like that's the caste system. So that's why you cannot connect people to the class dynamics in our community is not the same as the white community or the Asian community or any other, you know what I mean? Immigrant community or any other white, it's not the same. This here says I never been here. This says that for 16 years, of fighting for my beloved fruit belt and protecting my sons never happened. So when I hear about these white terrorist supremacists espousing the notions that we're trying to replace them, we don't have the power, we don't have the resources, we don't even have a political muscle to even contemplate something like that. That is the last thing on our mind. What we're asking is equal access to the same opportunities that is written in our Constitution. We just want to prosper. We just want to raise our children. We just want to be able to live comfortably. When we talk about this replacement, no. We are actively being replaced through gentrification. And the fruit belt is the front line of that fight. Excuse me. Oh, God. The Real Replacement Hemphill Nichols's family has lived in East Buffalo for six generations. They're not replacing anyone. Among segregation, mortgage redlining, highway construction, dangerous housing, gentrification, and few full-time jobs, many black families in East Buffalo remain trapped in intergenerational poverty, said Henry Taylor, an urban planning professor at the University at Buffalo. Black people are not replacing white people, Taylor said. 
they're not even competing with white people for housing or jobs, he said. Now, that East Side land is relatively cheap, land speculators, many of them white, are driving up home prices and forcing black people like Hemphill Nichols to leave, Taylor said. If there's replacement to be found in Buffalo, it is black people and black culture that are under attack. It's a form of mass dispossession, Taylor said. It's the challenge of black people always trying to build their communities on land that belongs to other people. The city does what it can. Buffalo recently built 3,500 units of affordable housing, Mayor Byron Brown said. It has demolished more than 8,000 dangerously dilapidated houses, offered to help people pay back taxes and keep their homes, and partnered with New York State on a $65 million workforce training center. It's not enough, Brown said. No local government has the resources to address all of these government-sanctioned harms done to black people and the black community, Brown said. We need federal intervention to address hundreds of years of discrimination, of segregation. Without that, we will continue to see only incremental gains. Yet even as the Census Bureau reports that net migration to the United States is plummeting, Powerful political leaders and influencers including Donald Trump and Tucker Carlson warn of an invasion. Hours after the Buffalo massacre ended, New York Rep. Elise Stefanik repeated a version of the gunman's replacement conspiracy theory by tweeting, Democrats desperately want wide open borders and mass amnesty for illegals allowing them to vote. Elsewhere in western and upstate New York, black families keep running faster, only to fall farther behind. So I see that the Buffalo mayor said everything but the reparations word, which is what we should be advocating for. I this mean, is reality. Go ahead, Mike. Well, I was just going to say, they pretty much said reparations. They just didn't say the word. Like, every, yeah. that was pretty much reparations. Yeah, pretty much. But, you know, I want to see, you know, I like to see the whole... Um, I just wanted to speak to the uh, reality of uh, Black people being replaced, or at least in Detroit, right? Like, we lost half the population of the city, black, one of the Blackest cities in the country, over the past 15 years. It used to be 2 million Black people living here. Now there's less than 700,000. Yet in that, same, in that same increment of time, we've had, like, a large population of uh, Mexican immigrants come over here. We've had a large population of uh, Middle Eastern people come over here. So there's something about Detroit, the way it's structured, that Black people have to leave. We can't afford to live here. But other people can come from other countries and live here just fine, build up whole communities. Facts. Facts. I spent a lot of time up there. You were not fucked. Facts. Like, I had to leave for 10 years. I'm just now moving back. Because I, I needed a job, and there were no jobs. Like, it was either that or do unscrupulous activities and i'd rather not so Ain't nobody got time for that and then <laughs> legal like, job it is get it together so it was like you have to go find go where the work is Thanks. but like you can't really build your community there my community's here in detroit my family's here my mother's buried here 
I ha- I'm going to be connected to this place wh- no matter where I go in the world. Mm. So it makes you here. transient almost, right? So it's like, even when you live somewhere else, you're, you're still, your home base and where you're mainly connected is still somewhere else because your family is where your home is and that's where you grew up. Mm. Damn. Sorry, this just made me think of something that we talked about a while back when we had the John Brown left this show. We were talking about like trying to build community, but then it's hard when you're same thing. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Matt. Pick it up. You do no, I was just thinking about the same thing. Like it, I was saying on one episode, it was hard for us to like really build something politically in our communities because a lot of us essentially are living like nomads where we have to keep moving to a different uh, neighborhood to find work or because of better schools or all these host of reasons that that like displace us from the communities that we're supposed to be rooted in. Um, and because of that, we, we, have, a, we have a hard time um, being able to get engaged politically because, I mean, we not only have to leave the places that we're rooted in, but for a lot of our adult lives, we have to continue moving around, you know, until we can even find some place. And for a lot of us, we're not gonna be able to own houses. Like this is just gonna be our reality. So to uh, Joey's point, like, if anything, or to the point of this whole article, if anything, we are the people being replaced. We are the people that are being displaced, replaced, and misplaced. I just want y'all to think about it. Like a million Black American Detroiters like couldn't raise their kids in their city. Like they had to leave, go find somewhere else because like literally no jobs. But like other people can move here and be perfectly fine build up entire like the whole southwest side i'm right over here with them and it happens right in front of our face and you know white people wouldn't even put up with that they're not in uh, the east side of philly they came outside with ak-47s that's a working white class neighborhood and they had that clash after the george floyd um incident and you could tell the dynamics like you're talking about upwardly mobile people coming out of from new york um, gentrifying <laughs> a, a working white class, um, um, a working class white neighborhood in Philadelphia, and you saw the dynamics at play. And even in yeah, South, that West Side Story, but with affluent whites versus poor whites yes, instead of the <laughs> they were kicking their asses. They, they were kicking their asses, and it happened in South Philly um, when they were defending the Columbus statue, there was this one racist ass old Italian man. And he said, it's not the blacks. It's you white punk motherfuckers. <laughs> like, they were mad as shit. They were mad as shit. And I'm man. So just seeing that, I was just like, oh, okay, I get it. It's the whole city. And we're all getting sold out to like rich fucking white people. But again, you think these white motherfuckers, like, see it like that they'll come out but do they have do they have an analysis no because they're so caught up in whiteness they can't even really really dig what's going on no i i mean as far as like you know joey was talking about like the particular uh issue in detroit as far as gentrification more than talking about the same things as philly i think in my area ours new jersey um and 
with the high school in Nook. So Nook, Orange, East Orange, Irvington, all these areas are the, these these are we really felt the effects of white flight. Oh, uh, and the crazy part though, in my neighborhood, my neighborhood, I grew up in the Orange neighborhood called the Valley. This was once a working class Italian neighborhood, uh, probably in the fifties and the sixties, the seventies and the eighties. After the riots happened, they started leaving slowly. And in the eighties, that's when the crack came. They got the fuck out. They left. But even to this day, though, the businesses that they have, the, the Italian restaurants that they have, are still in my neighborhood. And I've never seen the Italian in my neighborhood. Like, but the bit, but that, that that restaurant they got down in my neighborhood is still there. You know, like. It, you know, and then the, like the houses, like they change, they change the houses, like it's from because you might see a lot of houses in my neighborhood, but it's like they two family or three family houses. So like the black people that live there, because the, it's majority Negroes, it, it's Caribbeans there too, but it's majority Negroes though. But they don't even they don't own those homes. Like, so I'm trying to figure out who some of them still the Italians that left in 1968 when that shit got real and nope, they burned down Nook and the more white people. Was, <laughs> it's like they try to run the East Orange, they try to run the Orange. They, they all left. They all went to like the the, the suburbs, like that. You know what I mean? Like the surrounding areas. Like, and then we came there in the seventies. In the seventies, it wasn't that bad. It's still, but we still, but they still was defunding the neighborhoods. And then the eighties come, and get cracked. And then, then you get the nineties, like you know what I mean? Like, and now they're trying to come back. Now. So I feel like I feel like as far as like those kind of neighborhoods and that, that kind of area, like. Like they gentrified the shit, or they try they they redline the shit to keep us here. Like we don't, we don't want you to be over here. You gotta stay here. And now that this is becoming prime real estate, they're coming back to retake what they felt like it was properly was rightfully theirs for some reason. And it's our shit now. You know, you ain't want this shit now, but now you want to come back because now your daughter is like, you know what? This shit is like two minutes from New York City. I can live in North Philly. This shit gonna fuck your whole shit up, like for real. So like the displacement and the replacement is real. It, it is real. Like, they've been doing this shit. And, um, yeah, that's all I got on that shit. Though. But there's still a racial dynamic. And until you deal with this racial, ethnic dynamic, this caste system that we got going on, all the fucking, all the, all the shit that you propose would not fix it. Like, you got to fix us. When you fix us, then it'd be easier to implement universal programs, like, across class and, I, and gender. I'm going to jump in on this one, and we can keep, we can either keep it in or we can throw yes, it out. I don't care. Yes, but, but we also have to talk about that people of color have been gentrifying the fuck out of black neighborhoods too. Yes, Lord. I'm just saying in general, like there's a lot of communities that used to be black communities that are now brown communities or now people of color communities. Those Negro, a lot of the times those Negroes got pushed out. That wasn't our choice to give up our neighborhoods like what is it that that sets it up where you can come here and move into my neighborhood and there's ways for you to be successful whereas I can't get those same resources to stay in my neighborhood when you set up your Spanish restaurant you're not hiring nobody black the menu is in Spanish you're definitely not hiring nobody black but you in Detroit how are you not hiring nobody black what you're right though you can do whatever Right. I want to find a way to position my community into a place where you have to pay us now to open your store now. You have to pay us directly. People that's from the community that you're serving, you have to pay us to open, to have commerce here. Like every other community in this country. 
Or, or we can go one step further. We can just stop patronizing your shit while you're in our community and see how that go. Facts. This this plays into another thing, the whole economics of it. Like you're talking about them having to pay us to come into our communities. Well, yeah, they would have to if we own the land and we own the like the building. Uh, that's Facts. how that would work. But uh, because we don't, they don't have to do that. And uh, there was another article I sent about the uh, food insecurity shit. This is the problem. Like, if we don't have the ability to service our communities, and these people come in and they they operate as as uh, someone who can service our community, if they are chased out or whatever the case may be, it's not a guarantee that we're going to be able to step up and and take that place. Facts. Facts. So <laughs> even even. Even in protest, we're locked into a situation because of the whole economics of this fucking country and how it's, how we've been deprived and exploited. We're locked into a situation where we have to depend on outsiders to to provide the basics for us. That's the, that's the whole thing. I just think that, that, that sounds like an internal colony. It is. That's exactly what it is. We came to East Buffalo to meet people helping residents move forward weeks after the shooting. Katrina Martin-Bordeaux is a registered nurse and activist living on the city's east side. East Buffalo is basically the black side of Buffalo. She says issues like disinvestment and neglect have plagued this neighborhood for decades. The east side of Buffalo kind of changed after the 1950s when the 33 Expressway was dropped in the middle of communities which basically prompted the white flight. It sounds like when the 33 was built, it permanently scarred this community, permanently divided everyone. Once that 33 was dropped, I think pretty quickly, people realized that if you if, if you stayed in the city, it wasn't gonna work for you. And so people had th that had the means to leave, they packed up, they left, whereas people that don't have the resources are, you know, kind of, you know, they're stuck. Today, Buffalo is one of the nation's most segregated cities. One-third of the city's 255,000 residents now live below the poverty line. Most of them live here, on the east side. The Fruit Belt Bounce When Eric Clapper's great-grandparents moved from Germany to Buffalo in the early 1900s, they ran a general store on Grape Street in the Fruit Belt. They sold the store to buy a farm in Snyder, now a suburban community near Buffalo. The old farmhouse became Clapper's childhood home. His parents still live there. Their bedroom is a converted chicken coop. Absolutely, my family built on that generational wealth of owning a home and land in a stable white community, said Clapper, 39. Clapper is the executive director of Tapestry, a public charter school in Buffalo. His employee, Yvonne, Dubois is the school's social worker. They've worked together less than a year. But Clapper and Dubois share four generations of East Side roots. Dubois's great-grandmother was a black woman who moved to Buffalo in 1910, a few years before the Clappers arrived. Her daughter opened a dry goods store and a liquor store near Main Street, which remains the boundary between Buffalo's black East Side and white West Side. She owned a three-story house nearby, with ornate trim framing the porch. From the 1990s on, 
the block was rife with drug dealing and occasional murders. Rather than an asset for future generations, the home lost value. It was worth almost nothing, Du Bois said. Maybe $20,000. When Du Bois' grandmother died, she left the house to her grandson, who was addicted to drugs, Du Bois said. He failed to pay the property taxes. The city took possession of the home in 2016. Months later, Du Bois' brother died of an overdose. Meanwhile, her husband felt overwhelmed by depression, fatherhood, poverty, and starting a landscaping company. He had no money or insurance for mental health counseling. He died by suicide in 2018. We lost more than we, ever, owned, said Du Bois, 37. Her son is eight. There's a disproportionate amount of poverty, on the east side, said Pastor George Nicholas of Lincoln Memorial United, Methodist, Church, which is a mile from the site of the supermarket attack. So you have a community with terrible health outcomes. I think there's a sense of despondence. Frustration. Anger. My God, oh man, if that's not the Black American experience in a paragraph. Um, we've lost more than we ever owned. <laughs> I don't know. I, that that perfectly encapsulates everything we've been trying to say. How y'all feel about that? Yeah, I agree. I'm I'm almost speechless after that. Like that that shit is it is everything. It says everything about the white American experience and the black American experience. Just comparing the, those two lives. That's fucking crazy. I'm pretty sure we bring up a red line of match in 1935 when, when, when FDR sounded like the Fair House and that. We're going to find the east side of Buffalo. That whole shit going to be red. It's going to be red. Like, yeah, man. It, that shit is really fucked up. They came in in 1910, 1920 to the east side of Buffalo. And it's, it's so obvious that red line is really affecting how, you know I me, mean? how those people, our people out there function to that. It's absolutely, it's absolutely a correlation with that. Bro. And did you catch the story about the um, the man who um, committed suicide? Like after starting a landscaping business, after losing his wife, after um, he was just trying to do everything. He was bootstrapping his way through it. And like, he just couldn't do it anymore because there weren't no, any mental health services. But like, that's kind of like the secret for like suicidal black men in America. Like there is no, there's nobody for you to talk to really because you can never tell somebody you want to kill yourself because they'll take your guns. And as a black man in America, you can't afford to give up your access to that. So we don't, there's nothing Thanks. for a suicidal black man to do. I mean, and then you gotta also think about having like you said, the bootstrapping mentality of I'm going to try to do everything. You also have, that generally comes with the idea of like, I have to suck it up. I can't deal with these, like any any acknowledgement of like having, um, you know, um, problems mentally, you, you, you see that as a sign of weakness. 
and you don't want to really address it in a healthy way because I mean it feels like you're you're giving in like you're you're acknowledging that you can't do a certain like you can't be everything and I mean the way we're socialized in this country is that the expectation is that we have to do everything or else we really don't want to solve our problems the onus is put on us to 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 overcome centuries of of deprivation and exploitation and and just do it within within our lifetimes we're supposed to all become individual success stories with all the odds against us and then not crack under the pressure well hey mother, you ain't like that shit is crazy like you're absolutely right like the whole thing is based off our individualism because they use that against us like they use our individual success stories against us though you know what I mean? In fact, like it was a Michael Jordan. Why can't you be Michael Jordan? Like he's one of the best. Our individual success stories are some of the best people to do what they do in life. That's these why you gotta go to white people and be like, why can't you be Jeff Bezos? These are literally some of the most extraordinary athletes, entertainers. These people, our athletes, entertainers are top notch. Like, like, like they, like I'm talking about globally. Like, can't beat these people. Like. Be like Stevie Wonder. Learn how to learn the piano when you what? Like so, like think about it. Like so, this motherfucker is a white normal dude, like Jeff Bezos, though, because he has some money. They 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 don't understand that correlation, though. But you're right, though, because it's so it is a lot of pressure on this. Like man, fuck that, man. Like you know, nobody gonna ever want to help you. So just do it on their own. And I don't know. And real quick, I just wanted to say to uh to the fresh and fit guys, this oh, is the God. story of the people who um who were here the whole time, who bought the house. They spoke English. They, these are the opportunity, the quote unquote opportunities that we were being losers, that we were too lazy to take advantage of. Like they yeah. own stores, they own businesses. They started businesses, the same like your daddy did, the same that you're so proud of your father for doing. We did all these things too, before you. We're the reason you were able to do it. That's a fact. But somehow, some way, you didn't experience the white terrorism like we did just like that white family that lived there. You didn't come here until it was safe from the white terrorism. Was your house devalued to $20,000? If that didn't happen to you, then what the fuck are we even talking about? Shit, man. You ain't lying, man. That's, just, that's what I'm saying. Like, to me, it's funny to me. Like I said it on another show, say it again. Like The first person I went to college in my family was my great-great-grandmother. Her mother was born a slave, bro. You know what I'm saying? Like the, the woman that raised my mother, her mother was born a slave. That's my great great grandmother, my, my mother's great grandmother. So I like, so at the end of the day, I only want to hit all this shit that he's talking about. That shit don't impress me. None of this shit, I don't give a fuck about none of that shit because like I know that my family paid the cost, like for being here. They paid the cost for real. Like my great great grandmother went to college, got a degree, and then the thing about it, like she had got married and whatever like that. She actually moved to Philly too. Shout out to Morgan. Like she moved to Philly too, like with her husband, the first husband. They lived in Philly and then they ended up moving to New Jersey, probably before the Great Depression, the 1920s. Like. And then uh, she went up there and, uh, you know, at the time it was like, you know, the husband take care of the wife and all that. That didn't work out. So then it was time for her to take care of herself. She had a degree now. This ain't, see that? This ain't 2022. This is 1922. You know what I mean? Like this ain't 20. 
So now she has to go to the job market. She has a degree, though. She was an educator. She, she taught. She taught kids in South Carolina and everything like that in New Jersey. This is one of the most liberal states in the country at this time. They would not hire my great-great-grandmother. They would not honor her degree, nothing like that. So what happened was that she had to clean houses nigga, for like 30 years, man. Right. This is you why defining your identity or especially your success in relation to Negroes is just you trying to recreate whiteness. Yes. Buffalo by the numbers. Erie County, which includes Buffalo, is hypersegregated, according to Henry Taylor's research. Most white people, 84%, live in the suburbs, while 76% of black residents live in the city. Of those, 73% live east of Main Street. This segregation was planned. In 1936, the U.S. Homeowners Loan Corporation invented redlining, by declining to buy mortgages sold to black families, on the presumption that black residents in white areas signaled neighborhood decline. Redlining wasn't banned until the 1977 Community Reinvestment Act, but some lenders continued the practice for decades. In 2015, Buffalo's Evans Bank paid $1 million to settle a lawsuit by the state attorney general, who produced a map drawn by the bank's managers declaring the east side off-limits for loans. In 2021, then-Governor Andrew Cuomo announced a settlement with Buffalo's Hunt Mortgage Corp finding that the company had demonstrated poor performance in lending to people of color and in majority, minority neighborhoods. Nearly a century after they were created, these policies by government and private companies continue to perpetuate a system of residential apartheid across Buffalo and its suburbs, Taylor wrote. Artificially depressed property values deny most black families the primary asset, homeownership, that white families use to escape poverty and join the middle class. The east side of Buffalo is a community where people are stuck in place, Taylor said. Since 1990, black families steadily lost wealth compared with whites, Taylor found. The median income among black Buffalo residents grew by 6% over 30 years, to $42,000 in 2020. Nationally, median family incomes jumped 34% during the same period, to $67,521 in 2020, according to the census. In 1990 and today, unemployment among black Buffalo residents has remained in the double digits, Taylor found. Then as now, more than a third of black residents lived in poverty, and a third owned homes. On average, those homes remain the least valuable in Erie County. Black Buffalo residents are more likely not to have a high school diploma than to have a college degree, a situation that hasn't changed in 30 years. Rather than black people in Buffalo replacing whites, the data shows an enduring sameness over the last three decades, Taylor wrote, in which African Americans continue to lose the competitive struggle with whites. I just want to say, uh, I need to look into this Buffalo Evans Bank paying $1 million to settle a lawsuit. I, like, I can't even pretend to, like, know the details of this. 
but that does not seem like anywhere near enough. No, I mean, again, that's the system showing they'll give you little trinkets, but they're never going to fully repair. Um, that's all I had to say. Why not? Why not, though? Why do you think they won't fully repair for them? I mean, I think it comes... I'm sorry, I shouldn't answer for you, Morgan. No, no, go ahead. I mean, go ahead. Anybody. Well, I mean, I think it, it always goes back to this, this thing that the slave is supposed to be on the bottom. Like, we're not supposed to be, like, over any white people. Not in mass. And if we if we're not on the bottom and we're we're moved from that position that means that that potentially opens up that spot for a lot of white people that's what they don't want like that's the whole issue i think they're fighting against they'll come and tell us about this meritocracy shit about how you just have to work hard to get what you, what you want but in in in, in a situation where we are actually put in, in our rightful place and they actually have to compete with us. They don't want that. Yeah, I mean, America is changing. They're gonna have to wake up, but just the history of America, we, they, they it's like a, a tape that you keep rewinding and they can't even focus on anything else except oppressing us. And, you know, it's kind of like, that's why I know that we don't have any allies or even any accomplices, because what we're saying is that we don't want to be at the bottom. And the system in America doesn't allow for nobody to be at the bottom. So they're going to have to pick somebody else. They're going to have to pick another group. And so for me, that like, that's how I just see this. And um, with the white people that don't care, like aren't aware if they are, they're still focused on us. Um, they're gonna have to deal with, they're gonna have to deal with uh, us not being that target anymore. And that's why I don't even really concede to like, talk to these people or this is not, you know, I'm not doing that because it's not advantageous for any group, you know, and it's just a waste of time. They didn't want to compete with us. Like that's where the lishes come from. That's where a lot right. of that shit come from. So that's that's <laughs> where white solidarity comes from. It does. They're not wanting to compete. They did not want to compete with formerly released slaves. Like what? I just want to say that to, for me, I said that because we need to recognize who we are in our place in America. Like I know that we know the history, but do we feel it? Do we recognize it? And why? That's they're peons. Why should I even include you in this conversation? And they step up and are so loud because we, you know, aren't aren't asserting that part of us and that part of the conversation. Like you are fucking irrelevant. I wish I would. And that lineage conversation that goes into them. And like it's like guilt will make you tilt. They get very, very insecure and they need to be because you have no place in this conversation. And you'll ask them, oh. Uh, my family came here in 1940. 1940. <laughs> what? Who covers? Yeah, you just fucking got here, yeah. Bernie Sanders. I say delineate them all because pan Europeanism is anti American. 
It always has been. That's what the Confederacy wanted. And we had to destroy that so we could build these here United States of America. Every time they try to recreate this pan-European idea, it's because they couldn't make it in Europe. So they tried to bring their unsuccessful ass ideology over here to America where we've already quashed it time and time again. And then they get to acting out. Like that, that's really what this is. Like even the Buffalo shooting, like he was just auditioning for whiteness. Because like if, if, if they don't have Negroes to oppress then they have to admit that all whiteness is, is just like the willingness to not compete with other people. What else do you need whiteness for? And what other circumstance are Italian people and Irish people the same? Other than just to do a racism. All right, do y'all want me to go ahead and play the, the next thing? Yes. Racing to fall behind. If anyone can break this cycle, it's Yvonne Dubois. She has a bachelor's degree in psychology, a master's in social work and a second master's in business. She has a well-paying job. And her mental health training helps her process her family's many traumas. I really view myself as a person who is supposed to break a lot of generational curses, Dubois said. Yet she is falling behind. Dubois had planned to buy a home by 2017. Five years later, she still rents. Emergency car repairs, replacing lawn mowers for her husband's company, and the cost of heating a three-story home through Buffalo's winters all made it difficult to save, not to mention the tragedy of her husband's death. Will she ever buy a home, the first step in building generational wealth for her son? I don't know, Dubois said. I think it will take twice as long as I've been expecting. Dubois loves her neighborhood and fears it simultaneously. Mostly she fears the young men who stand at the end of her block, selling drugs. Yet for months after her husband died, friends dropped by delivering armloads of paper towels and toilet paper. Others took her car to fill the tank with gas. She loves sitting on her porch to talk with neighbors, drink lemonade, and read a novel. She loves it when children she doesn't know run up to the door and ask her son to play. So it's basically she loves and hates her, she loves and fears her community all in the same breath. Yeah. And then you see the working hard but not being able to get ahead. And it's it's frustrating because it's like the last bit of water slid through your fingers and you couldn't catch it to cup it. That's what it is. And nobody cares. Yeah, I think. I mean, we all I think a lot of us that have like lived in black communities, we've had kind of that love hate relationship with our communities um, because we love the people. But we don't love what the poverty. Creates for our people. And if. 
and to bring it back to reparations, if we have that, I mean, when we don't have these these stories about, you know, struggling to try to try to get a house and then not being able to do it, and then you know, these fears of drug dealers in our communities. Once you do reparations, why the fuck does anyone need to sell drugs? They're selling drugs for money. That's going to like eliminate that issue, which is going to eliminate a lot of the, the violence that comes with all of that shit. I mean, what we want is the ability to build real communities that where we can actually take care of each other and love each other and you know not worry about having to fight with each other over crumbs there's no denying that sections of buffalo have enjoyed a renaissance of sorts during byron brown's 15 years in office there's canal side construction downtown and the medical campus there's also elmwood village and north buffalo both are thriving yes sections of buffalo have rebounded but large swaths of the city remain impoverished. The numbers aren't pretty. Back when Brown took office, the city's poverty rate was second worst in the nation, just shy of 30%. The numbers were almost as bad in 2019, the last year we have census data for. We now rank as the nation's third poorest big city. Even worse, more than four in 10 children in the city of Buffalo live in poverty. Three quarters of students attending Buffalo public schools are eligible for free or reduced meals. And get this, the number of city residents working for a living has dropped since Brown took office. The real Buffalo story is that a few have advanced and their lives have gotten better, but too many have been left behind. Signs of poverty are easy to find on the east side and sections of the west side boarded up buildings on Broadway, listless neighborhood commercial districts, and overgrown lots where houses once stood. A hero is trapped. Jerome Bridges stood in aisle 14, at the back of the top supermarket, when a gunshot rang in the parking lot. It sounded like a firecracker. Then the terrorist walked inside and kept shooting. Bridges, an assistant manager, saved everyone he could. He led two fellow managers, a cashier, and six customers to a conference room behind the dairy case. Bridges heaved an oak table against the door, then pressed his body against the table. He was shooting at the dairy cooler, Bridges, 45, said of the gunman. He knew the layout of the store. It seemed he was trying to hit us people behind the cooler. Tops will pay the store's workers their regular wages while the location remains closed. Bridges will receive a week of free mental health counseling. These short-term responses are critical, Bridges said, and he appreciates them. In the long term, however, Bridges' life as a black man on Buffalo's east side grows increasingly tenuous. His grandmother once owned a house nearby. She couldn't afford the taxes. When a water pipe burst, she couldn't afford the repair. In 2014, Bridges said, she forfeited the house to the city. After that, 
Bridges and his cousin paid $1,200 a month to rent a house with leaky walls and a cracked porch. My ceiling had a hole in it, Bridges said. You could look up into the sky. He moved out. Immediately, the landlord renovated the place, Bridges said. He drove us out on purpose, Bridges said. He said he wanted to fix it up and sell it. Bridges earns $15.70 an hour at Tops. Between the supermarket and a side job as a sneaker store security guard, he works 50 hours a week. Yet he is stuck. Bridges has lived on the east side his entire life. As land speculators drive up rents, he can't afford any of the apartments for rent in his own neighborhood, he said. Buying is another option. The average home in East Buffalo sold for $92,000 in April 2022, according to the real estate company Redfin, a 15% increase over the previous year. Across the region, a 17% spike since last year caused the average home value to reach $210,000 in April, a new record, according to the Buffalo News. With a salary of around $40,000 a year, Bridges could afford the mortgage payment on a typical house anywhere near Buffalo. But even if he paid 10% upfront for a typical East Side house, Bridges can't raise $9,000 cash for a down payment. The prices for houses in Buffalo are ridiculous, Bridges said. So for now, he sleeps on a friend's couch, in a rented house, half a block from Tops. He has no home, no car, no savings. Bridges, a hero of America's latest white supremacist attack, isn't replacing anyone. He can't afford even to stay where he is. They're targeting black people again, Bridges said. And I don't understand why. That shit is wild, ain't it? Wow, like, so you lived through the plot of Die Hard only to get a week of mental health counseling and you got to go right back to work next week. Right when they shot it up and you don't have a hope of getting out of this. Well, the store is closed. They're getting paid, but, you know, they're getting paid while it's closed. But, I mean, it seems like it doesn't even fucking matter if you think about this motherfucker's life. He's living on the fucking couch. He doesn't have a place to stay. He doesn't have a car. He doesn't have any savings. Like, I mean, he's stuck. And eventually, you know, he's not going to even have that couch. And he can't leave the country, by the way, just throwing that out there. Like, if this doesn't work out, he's going to jail. Like, that's what, that's what happens to Black Americans when we run out of money. When I think about not getting reparations, it's actually, like, something that will not happen because you're going to have us, what, in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, like, water world? That's how this is what this is what I 
I like picture in my head and I say it to people because I want them to get that picture in their head. A hundred years from now, this is what our lineage, that's where we're going to be. No, we're not, they, we're not doing that. And that's not happening. So they better get their minds right. Hey, 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 first off, Morgan, Waterworld is a classic. It is Waterworld, they had an oil, and Kevin Costner had gills behind his ears. And you know that damn near Waterworld, every time Kevin Costner is a star of a movie, it's at least three hours. So <laughs> if you don't got three hours to watch, you can't watch, you can't watch Kevin Costner's movie. Dance with Wolves with like eight hours, Postman, Waterworld. But you know, I was great. But anyway, but but no, you're absolutely right though. They're trying to push us into the sea. They're trying to push us to they're trying to get us the fuck out of here. I think that, you know, like uh learning about, you know, what I mean, this man's life and the things that he had to go through. And like the fact that he's he's working thing about it is like I just wanted to put a highlight on the fact that our community has a huge significant amount of people who are working for. It's more people who are is, is less people who are unemployed than who are working for in that community. I know them personally, like, living together, living the project, got two jobs, we got shop right, you gotta go to Walmart tomorrow, and work 78 hours for like 10, this shit, this shit is rough, man. You work at the fucking warehouse, you gotta lift boxes for 80 hours. This shit is, like, it, I'm not gonna lie, like, I mean, I was just talking about, like, where I'm from, in, in North New Jersey, but at the end of the day, I know that's the that's the truth for a lot of our people across the country. Like, we really are the working poor. Citizens, definitely, like, you know what I mean? Like, we definitely are. We, we make up the majority of the working poor, like, absolutely, like, 110%. And mm -hmm. I just want to address the fact that um, free college won't solve his problems. Give him Medicare <laughs> for all today, and he's still stuck. Yep. Clear his student debt, he's still stuck. He still can't get that nine grand to get him a house. How about fifteen dollars an hour? Would that would that help him get him a house? Fifteen dollars an hour? He Nothing. Okay. Okay. So like this whole idea, we gonna build coalitions when this is how we live in. You cannot ignore reparations. Reparations is the only thing that changes this man's circumstances. He is forty five years old, doing his best. This man's a hero, an American hero. He just straight John McClain that whole situation, put his body on the line. I just wanted to talk about that $15 minimum wage thing. He's already making $15.70 and can't fucking survive in his fucking city. And we got leftists telling us that's that's a grand solution for our goddamn problems. I knew and we should ignore reparations in favor of these things. The left literally pushed that agenda, $15 an hour. I remember some guy testifying that he had like four kids and he was saying that that would do wonders for him. And I'm like, by the time you get it, you're gonna want, and I forgot, maybe this was like 2012. All I knew is, but like, I was like, that is not enough. And by the time you get it, you're gonna want 50. And you know, that's white people circumventing. Black liberation. And that's a clear sign of that because that was unintelligent. He was not used to having a salary, wasn't used to making good money. So he really thought that that was like going to get him somewhere. 
and that's that is treacherous shit that white the white left has done. That's a tangible. The crazy part is that I'm, I think I'm looking back at it now, and what they what they what they did though they did, they kind of did it the white left did this effectively, but they understood our degradation. They understood like our position in this country and how much money we was getting, everything like that. And like the white left was getting on board with the fifteen dollars an hour because it was college kids for the first time they could kind of like pay their rent type shit like without no responsibilities and anything like that. But like tied it like basically daddy can just daddy or mommy can kind of just be my base and I can still get up get on my own and pay my rent without asking my dad and my money to actually money down. It's 2022. We got a pandemic that happened. This these past three, four years, this shit is different. Like inflation out there crazy. Like, you know, Sam Obi was talking about 20, 25 hours an hour. But uh, you know what I mean? I'm trying to realize like why are so many middle class voter do white people that are leftists okay with fifteen dollars an hour? Like if you remember, what was the left doing, the white left doing? prior to the whole 15 now thing. They were hooping and hollering and screaming down corporate CEOs on Wall Street. Like, these motherfuckers are full of shit. And that's just an unintelligent negotiation tactic. That's like negotiation tactics one-on-one. You shoot the highest. So you can, you know, get above what you actually want. You know, and if I was a little bit older, I probably would have been, I, sh- I mean, you can't fight everybody, but I should have been more vocal about that, you know, but I I wasn't a fast food worker, like, I got it, but, and I've, and I, you know, I said it, but I just didn't have the time to, like, attack it. Whose existence is really imperiled right now? The white American lifespan is declining right now for the first time in American history. The opioid pandemic is a scourge made worse by the COVID pandemic and the lack of universal health care. Wages haven't kept up, kept up with inflation, and both corporate parties are aligned against raising the minimum wage, even though we haven't had a minimum wage raise for the longest period in American history, and even though Americans have never worked harder for less. When Carlson focuses his ire on corruption by elites, he's right on the nose. But the fact that he fully understands that it's elite capture that's causing so many Americans to hurt right now makes it difficult for me to understand how he thinks that a relatively small and powerless immigrant group deserves as much focus as the billionaires stalling our wages, poisoning our baby food, and ruining the country. And focusing on small, powerless individuals rather than big corporations in control is dangerous, literally. We need to be clear about what people like the Buffalo Shooter are talking about when he talks about the Great Replacement. They're not just talking about the natural immigration and population trends that have existed since the first immigrants walked out of East Africa. To replace something is to put something new in the place of something old. It implies the old thing has gotten rid of, not simply added to. The threat suggested by Great Replacement isn't just low white birth rates or average immigration rates. It's something more pernicious, something akin to white genocide. And in fact, the Buffalo murderer describes the declining birth rate as, quote, mass genocide. And genocide is defined as the deliberate killing of a large number of people from a particular nation or ethnic group with the aim of destroying that nation or group. That's not what immigrants do. That's what the Buffalo shooter did. 
He hunted down black people so they could be replaced with so-called legacy Americans, a term I find kind of funny given that few communities have as deep historical roots in America as black Americans. After all, the Atlantic slave trade was abolished in 1808, meaning that the American descendants of slaves arrived here sometime before then. We predate the huge wave of European immigrants that arrived in this country between 1880 and 1920. 20 million immigrants arrived during those 40 years, nearly double the number of Africans forcibly enslaved and sold into bondage in the Americas over the span of 400 years. At this country's founding, black Americans constituted 20% of the population and comprised 16.5% after the Civil War. But that didn't last long. By 1920, at the end of the great wave of European immigration, the original racial fabric of this country had changed. Legacy Americans, black Americans, had largely been replaced. Now, I'm not sincerely arguing for a black version of replacement theory. Listening to Reset Race, you now tuned in to Reset Race. Uh, uh. You're listening to Reset Race, you're now tuned in to Reset Race. Put them back on the grill again, we grilling them. Put them back on the grill again, we grilling them. Put them back on the grill again, we grilling them. Back on the grill again, we grilling them. You're listening to Reset Race. Adults need reparations to make America great. You're tuned in to Reset Race, we no longer starving while others eat off our plate. No. You're listening to Reset Race, we focused on our justice claim, we know what is at stake, uh, you're tuned in to Reset Race, you'll find out we really done justice and really who fake, on the edge, go back to U.S. Southern plantations, Pennies, Jim Crow, and mass incarceration, redlining lynchings, we are old from this nation, not about justice if you ain't for reparations, MG the wise one, cousin mother intellectual, Samantha bringing fire, anti-black, we pressing you, no permanent friends and no permanent Enemies, the backbone of the country, the way you need our energy. Ah. Go on, see. Listening to Reset Race, you now tuned in to Reset Race. Uh, uh. You're listening to Reset Race, you now tuned in to Reset Race. Uh, put them back on the grill again. We grilling them, put them back on the grill again. We grilling them, put them back on the grill again. We grilling them, back on the grill again. We grilling them. You're listening to Reset Race. Adults need reparations to make America great. You're tuned in to Reset Race. We no longer starving while others eat off our plate. No. You're listening to Reset Race. We focused on our justice claim. We know what is at stake. You're tuned in to Reset Race. You'll find out we really about justice and really who fake. Until you do right by me, everything you think about is going to cry.
join us on Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash Reset Race Network.